The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. A very warm welcome to the program. This is Squawk Box, and these are the headlines. The U.S. hits the EU with tariffs and widens the trade war after the WTO grants Washington the right to target $7.5 billion worth of European goods in a long-awaited case. All of those countries were ripping off the United States for many years. They know that I'm wise to it. We've had a lot of wins. This was a $7 billion win. Not bad. Meanwhile, global stocks sell off, with Wall Street logging its biggest one-day decline in nearly six weeks as trade tensions and weaker-than-expected jobs data in the U.S. fuel growth worries. UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson makes his final Brexit pitch, offering a compromise on the contentious Irish backstop, but the proposal receives a tepid response from Brussels. There is progress. But to be frank, a lot of work still needs to be done to reach and to fulfill the three objectives of the backstop. President Trump lashes out as House Democrats as they announce a fresh round of potential White House subpoenas in the impeachment inquiry. big sell-off on Wall Street again in session. So very bleak start to the month of October. The volatility coming right back to the market indices. Let's start at the Dow. We had a pullback of 1.8 plus percent, close to 500 points off some of the lows that we had in session. But still, you could see a a big reversal for markets. Second straight session to start the quarter effectively, as we saw the market at one point test the 26,000 point handle on the Dow before recovering some of that ground. But uh, you can see right across to the S&P losing 1.8% and slightly more contained just at the margins for the Nasdaq. But this is really as you drill down to the areas of the market where you saw deeper selling than other areas. Uh, For instance, in session this time around, Engine Financial, the laggards, down more than 2%. And don't forget in the previous sell-off we saw a day earlier, it was around some of the technology names where some of that selling was concentrated. But financials, energy very much in focus this session. Let's just uh, see what some of the implications are as investors digest what has been a very weak set of manufacturing numbers. Same issues persist. Investors very much question the data and the weakness that you've seen. And some of that flaring up too into the expectations for interest rates. Uh, Markets questioning now whether there'll be a rate cut this month in October, whether there'll be a rate cut in November from the Fed. The data yesterday came through on the private sector payrolls report. That was weak for the month, also a revised lower number for the previous month. So investors now saying, what's the impact on the job market from the manufacturing slowdown that we are witnessing? Big focus too, as we count down to Friday's non-fund payrolls report. That will be a big ticket item for the markets. We've dropped now on the yields 1.58%, the level we've got on the 10-year, and one47 on the two-year. So the market now starting to price in some of that weakness on the Treasury markets. Let's switch over to energy. WTI are seeing its seven straight negative session. 
hitting its lowest level in eight weeks. So it is currently, uh, with some of the reading that it has clocked up uh, on Wall Street, on pace for its worst weekly performance since July. So some of the green you're seeing this morning, bit of a relief rally. We've, we've pushed high by about four-tenths of a percent, 52.85 on the trade. Brent is slightly tilted to the green. Curious this morning with some of that selling, bullion hasn't managed to catch a bid in the session. You can see just uh, drifting in this range that we've been trading for a while, just slightly below $1,500. The Asia markets are picking up from all of that red ink on Wall Street. You can see how it is playing out. Don't forget China is shut and we've got other markets in the region also closed, including South Korea. Japanese stocks shedding 2%. That is a story for a trend to follow safe havens such as the Japanese yen. So you can see the market reeling 440-odd points. Rough day for Australia too, outpacing the Japanese market to the downside. The opening calls in Europe, but Germany will not be trading today. But here is a look at some of the other main markets before the session. Weak, soggy gold trade anticipated for the core markets. I must point out yesterday, we did see a sell-off too for European markets. The stocks Europe 600 posting its worst day of 2019. We had a fall of 2.7% and for the FTSE itself, the worst day since January 2016. In terms of the percentage falls, uh, we had a fairly big retreat and also by point levels. So we're looking for more reading, 25 points to the downside anticipated. A little bit of a patch of green for the Italian market, but uh, we'll watch and wait for that. But of course, tariffs, the latest threat that everybody is uh, working into the mix. Yeah, absolutely, Karen. Let's uh, get into this uh, trade story then. And the latest on the EU and the United States, uh, America plans to Imposed tariffs on $7.5 billion worth of EU exports. The move comes after the WTO found the US was entitled to retaliate against the EU's illegal Airbus subsidies. The new levies include a 10% tariff on European aircraft, a 25% duty on some agricultural products, and another 25% hike on French wine and Scotch and Irish whiskey. The tariffs are set to come into effect on October the 18th. Washington's decision to hit EU-made aviation parts has already spilled over into the U.S. as airline stocks sold off heavily. American Airlines led losses and it closed more than 5% lower. Delta Airlines and United Airlines also closed sharply in the red. President Donald Trump said the WTO's decision to greenlight the tariff shows that other countries can no longer take advantage of the U.S. on trade. The WTO has been much better to us since I've been president because they understand They can't get away with what they've been getting away with for so many years, which is ripping off the United States. Well, let's uh, get out to Willem now for reaction in Brussels to this WTO finding. Uh, And Willem, I don't suppose um, they're very happy about this, but I guess it could have been worse. What they said to me last night, officials inside the commission, Jeff, once these decisions seemingly were made by the USTR, the US Trade Representative, to move ahead, and to do so quickly was this is no big surprise because of course this was a list that was drawn up back in April. The US at the time said that once this ruling came out they would respond immediately and what they're moving to do is to hold a special meeting of a panel inside the World Trade Organization that's required essentially to make these tariffs enforceable. And so we should see that meeting take place on October the 14th, according to the U.S. Trade Representative's office. We should then, according to that same office, see these tariffs start to take effect on October 18th. The commissioner uh, for trade, of course, Cecilia Malmstrom, said that, you know, they would like to respond firmly if this were to happen, but that any idea of sanctions was uh, counterproductive. The French finance minister, Bruno Le Maire, talking about the idea that these sanctions from America would be an economic and political error 
Jean-Claude Juncker, though, asked about this subject yesterday. This was his response. Trade is so much more than simply numbers. Trade is about people's livelihoods and jobs. Trade wars are easy to start, but escalate quickly and usually end badly. Whoever is starting a trade war will end badly in his own camp. Europe will always defend free and fair trade based on a level playing field and reciprocity. We will not be naive, but we are ready, willing and determined to business. And if someone is imposing tariffs on our aviation sector, we'll do exactly the same. Exactly the same. And here's the thing, of course, is that, you know, the Europeans say that preference is for a negotiated settlement without the imposition of tariffs. Their preference is to not have to respond with their own sets of tariffs. But they also drew up a long list of American products that they would target if required. The question now is going to be about the timing of any European response. In theory, they would want to wait until after a similar WTO ruling against Boeing. That could be as late as April next year. That gives many, many months of US tariffs on European products to play out. Or, and this was left open earlier in the week from Cecilia Malmstrom, the tra tra outgoing trade commissioner, they could seek to use former WTO rulings worth also billions of dollars that they've not yet used in the past to impose some kind of retaliatory tariffs on US products. That, though, would mean essentially breaking with precedent, using a WTO case that had been formally settled, and they acknowledge that could further escalate tensions with their US counterparts. Philem, just very briefly, um, is, is there any grumbling about the legitimacy of the ruling? Because this, it seems to me, is, is key. This is the WTO. This is a body that we know President Trump has criticised heavily. But the EU has largely tried to defend as part of one of the multilateral institutions that have been prevalent in the global trading system for the last 20, 30 years or so. Is anybody talking about the WTO getting this wrong or are they just prepared to accept the punishment and move on? So to answer that question, you have to slightly explain where this ruling came from. This was an arbitration panel appointed by the WTO to determine the amount of money that would be available for the US. You know, they'd asked for more than $11 billion. They've been given 7.5 because the Europeans had argued $11 billion was too high. Those are arbitrators. Separately, you've got the appellate body within the uh, World Trade Organization. They actually ruled on this many, many years ago. And it was Europe's failure to comply with that earlier ruling that was the problem. Now, the appellate body is the key crux of the matter when you talk about the future of the WTO and reform. It's meant to have seven members. It currently has three because terms of previous members were running out and the US was blocking replacements or extensions of those members' terms. Right now, we're looking at a date in December, December the 10th, when two of the remaining three members of that body lose their terms. And at that point, the Europeans very clear, they don't quite know what happens next. Willem, thank you very much for bringing us the latest. Uh, let's bring in Sinena Haldea, who is the CEO 
obviously BL Capital. Uh, I want to ask you about what the implications are here for investors, because as we read it, we've got these retaliatory uh, tariffs coming into force because of subsidies for Airbus, but there could also be WTO rulings down the track that allow the uh, Europeans to conduct their own retaliatory tariffs against the Americans. The Americans at this point are saying that they could alter these tariffs at any point. This all seems to sum up to an, another period of uncertainty for many investors. Uh, most definitely a period of uncertainty. But as, as we've said before on this show and others, trade wars are a race to the bottom uh, and never the, the outcome that either party wants. Uh, I think that this ruling is going to be used as a lever for broader talks between the US and Europe. There's obviously a front open where technology sanctions are concerned. Um, there's a front open where trade is concerned. Now, the US and Europe have shown that they can come to negotiated settlements. You saw that in August with the beef ruling uh, between the two countries. So the possibility is there that there would be a wider and broader agreement put in place that covers not just these tariffs, but others down the line that may be um, held against either party. However, I think it's important from an investor's perspective today, given the various trade war fronts open, we have one open with China and the US, another one with the US and Europe, one between Japan and South Korea, that investors have a geographically diversified portfolio. That's more important today than ever before, as you see the correlations decoupling between markets. The problem for Europe at this point is that the tariffs come as the Eurozone has been demonstrating weakness. So you'd have to say if demand is questioned through a major economy, a major US economy, not buying as many European products, then that would have to be a problem for some of those producers, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, not just that, you have you have an ECB that's lost its ability to stimulate in the way the Fed has. The Fed has room to move, right? So as you're absolutely right, the US economy has more buffer than the European one. And you've also seen a reluctance on the part of some European governments to stimulate via fiscal policies today. So what you have now is certainly a, an ability to hurt European producers more than, uh, than US ones, which puts the impetus on Europe to think about a negotiated settlement sooner rather than later, potentially before the April tariffs um, kick in for the Eurozone to then retaliate. Fiscal stimulus doesn't come without consequences, though. Mm -hmm. And it's being the phrase is being bandied around like it's just something that governments are dragging their feet on because they want to, as opposed to the reality is fiscal stimulus is our money. Mm -hmm. This is our tax money or it is debt taken on by governments which will be paid off through our tax money at some point. Why fiscally stimulate as the global economy appears headed into a recession? Shouldn't we wait for the uh, cleansing to take place and the strong hands to take out the weak hands and then we look at the benefits of stimulating at this point? Why are we so terrified about having a recession that's going to clear out some of the zombies from the last financial crisis? Well, certainly a recession at this end of the cycle looks looks likelier today than it has at any point before, given what markets are saying to us. However, to your point on fiscal stimulus, the reason it looks interesting for certain European countries to go to a fiscal policy is the fact that you have negative interest rates. So it's almost like the, the, the bond markets are prodding governments to take action here um, and say that you're almost being paid to take on the debt, right? You're at negative yields. So it's, a tra- it's never been more attractive for governments to think about a fiscal policy that's looser. 
um, than in the past where rates were a little bit higher. So that's the reason why people are banding around the term saying you should think about a fiscal policy. And the other reason is, of course, the ECB, that it's, uh, you know, it, it's lost its ability to move in the way the Fed has. Um, it could go back into a, a more aggressive QE program, but that's just printing money, as we know. So given a monetary policy uh, uh, and, and the fiscal policy, it may be better to go down the fiscal route, given where interest rates are and that governments can take on debt without being uh, burdened too much. We're going to pick up the conversation with you in just a minute. You're staying with us. Uh, coming up on the show, problematic points. A careful response from the European Union after the British Prime Minister makes his final Brexit offer. And if you've enjoyed the last uh, 15 minutes and you're very much looking forward to the next 15 minutes, well, don't forget you can hear it all over again in the CNBC podcast. That is at cnbc.com, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Uh, Listen and download today's episode. And for our current viewers, stick around. We'll be right back. A CNBC signature event. East Tech West, CNBC's exclusive invitation-only retreat returns to Nansha, Guangzhou, China in 2019. We explore all things tech from artificial intelligence to 5G. Join the world's most prolific investors, inventors and entrepreneurs as they share their stories and celebrate innovation. Visit EastTechWest.com for an application to attend. This is a compromise by the UK, and I hope very much that our friends understand that and compromise in their turn. Because if we fail to get an agreement because of what is essentially a technical discussion on the exact nature of future customs checks, when that technology is improving the whole time, then let us be in no doubt conference of what the alternative is. The alternative is no deal. And that is not an outcome we want. It is not an outcome we seek at all, but let me tell you, my friends, it is an outcome for which we are ready. Boris Johnson then, a compromise. That's what the British Prime Minister is calling his new Brexit proposal, which he laid out in a four-page letter to the EU. The plan gets rid of the backstop and replaces it with an all-Ireland regulatory zone and electronic customs checks away from the border. Following a phone call between the Prime Minister, European Commission President Jean-Claude Juncker welcomed the, quote, positive advances, but also noted problematic points. Well, Willem is doing good service in Brussels this morning. It's a good job we're giving him the salary of two reporters because he's covering both these stories for us. Willem, uh, it seems to me that there is one major sticking point to this, and that is the Irish government's own position on this story. Just explain for us where Leo Varadka sits on this. Well, he was pretty quick off the blocks, Jeff, in responding to the details of this proposal. And he said, I just want to quote it to you. This proposal, quote, does not fully meet agreed objectives of the backstop. And that's because, in his view, it will be very, very difficult to have a customs border without checks anywhere near the border. There will be an interruption in north-south trade of some kind, which is something the UK had undertaken to avoid. 
that scepticism, I must say, also shared to some extent by Michel Barnier, the man that will be negotiating on behalf of the EU's executive branch, the European Commission. Here was his response very soon after he'd been given these proposals for the first time on paper. There is progress, but to be frank, a lot of work still needs to be done to reach and to fulfill the three objectives of the backstop, no border, all island economy, and uh, protecting the single market. That means protecting the consumer, the citizens, and the businesses inside the single market, the 27 uh, member states. The no deal will never be the choice of the EU, never. So we will continue to reach a deal and to work with the UK team. So Boris Johnson trying to sell this idea. He spoke to Juncker yesterday. He spoke to Varadka. He spoke to Angela Merkel in Germany. And yet members of the British establishment, for instance, the leader of the SNP party, Nicola Sturgeon, obviously an opponent of Brexit in pretty much all forms. She has said this deal is this pro proposal, this offer is designed to fail. And so we've got to remember there's two constituencies that matter, both the Europeans and then also the Parliament in Westminster. And if you have a lot of parties saying they don't like some of these ideas, if you have members of Boris Johnson's Conservative Party saying they don't like these ideas, then it's still going to be the same old challenge of trying to get it through Parliament, even if the Europeans find it palatable in the end. And there are members, I should say, of the, the kind of uh, blocking uh, MPs who've said that they quite like this idea, but at the same time, you're seeing the scepticism from Michel Barnier, and there's a lot of reasons for that because they've been very, very clear here in Brussels about what they need to change the backstop. And they're saying so far, nothing they've seen in here allows them to do that, really. And Willem, thank you. Let's just take a quick check on how sterling's been performing in the last 24 hours. Uh, we have uh, seen a, just a bit of a stable trade this morning, 122.96. Don't forget, in recent uh, sessions, we've come off some of the high levels that we've been enjoying for the previous month. And let's come back to the conversation around the set. Sunaina Haldea is the CEO of Sabiel Capital. The Brexit negotiations continue. And the problem is that we seem to be running out of run room for this discussion because October 31st is at the end of the month. What's your best case scenario about what happens next? The best case scenario for the very near term, the next few days, is that Europe does not want to be seen as dismissing the proposal. So you have words like progress and there's still room for, for negotiation and such phrases coming out of EU. Boris Johnson's best hope is he enters the proverbial tunnel for negotiations with Europe. It remains to be seen whether Europe bites on that or not. Uh, I think you're absolutely right. There's too many constituencies to please and bring on side between now and the end of the month. Apart from the European negotiators, this has to go to the EU member sta states. And Leo Varadkar has been very clear that he is not happy with what's on the table today. And beyond that, you've got the parliament too. Uh, I think he's run out of, of, of legroom here. Europe also knows that if they reject this proposal, the likely outcomes are a delay to, to Brexit and possibly other referendum or election. So I think they're going to play out their hand a little bit, try and posture for negotiation, but ultimately turn down the deal. Do you feel as though Boris Johnson has uh, put himself in a corner, though, by sort of refusing to engage much on a, a, an option for a, a delay, for an extension of the time frame? He's been pretty adamant that we're leaving on October 31st. So does that mean that it makes it very challenging, even if he ends up in this negotiation phase and needs more time, that he's almost suggested that he won't go down that road? That's right. He's not just boxed himself in by doing that. He's also boxed himself into a corner by saying it's do or die on the Irish backstop. 
So between these two, pillar and post, he's really squeezed. Uh, and I think that, that what's likely going to happen here is that it, there is going to be some forcing of his hand. He'll say, it wasn't me, it was Europe. It wasn't me, it was Parliament. And ultimately take this to an election where it's a, a, a Tory party versus Parliament versus the elites type of dynamic, which we've seen play out over the last few weeks. He wants to be able to represent that he tried everything he could, um, despite the fact that some of this is coming too little too late. How do I make money out of this? Well, you make money out of this by really focusing on domestic stories, right? So looking at domestic demand stories, whether it's in the UK or Europe or indeed US or elsewhere, companies that don't have too much beta, so to speak, to um, trade wars or international dynamics. So that's one way. The other way is making sure your portfolio remains diversified, especially geographically these days, when you're seeing this incredible decoupling of markets where um, you know, domestic stories are mattering more and more. Corporate activity has been strong as foreign companies have come and looked at the UK because of where Sterling currently sits. Mm -hmm. Yesterday, what, we shed another 3% on the FTSE. If we continue to see these kind of declines, these companies are just getting cheaper. Mm -hmm. uh, you're obviously talking to a lot of businesses. What are they telling you about the attractiveness of the UK for a medium, longer term story? So you're seeing two sides to that coin. Yes, you're seeing some valuations come down, especially in manufacturing-oriented businesses, export-oriented businesses. Brexit uncertainty is undoubtedly bringing down uh, compromises in the market and therefore valuations. But on the flip side, you're seeing a lot of broken deals and M&A activity in UK in particular. You've got a lot of players saying, I'm on hold. We speak to institutional investors for a living, and we're hearing that a number of them are going on hold to see what happens with Brexit before they make a move. So that uncertainty, whereas three years ago, it wasn't impacting the real economy and deal flow. Today it is. People are saying that if Brexit and so-and-so so-called decision is only a few weeks away, let us wait and see what happens. So the uncertainty is hurting, at least for the next few weeks. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.